Uh, we've been going through a series on uh, just the foundations of a healthy and fruitful and God-glorifying church. We've talked about uh, the fact that God builds his church, not us. He uses us. He works through us, for sure. We've talked about leadership. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about uh, truthfulness and honesty in the church. Where there's truthfulness and honesty, there has to be humility. And God blesses and gives grace to the humble. And, uh, and so uh, we've been uh, working through all of, those, all of those types of issues. We talked a couple of weeks ago about telling our stories. Uh, if we are in Christ, we have a story to tell, and the church should be abounding with stories of God's work in our lives, and it's a healthy sign of a church, if that is so. One more thing to talk about in this little series, and I want to talk about the subject of tears. Uh, uh, Maybe may a strange uh, topic. I hope that it's not so strange and makes a little more sense about 30 minutes from now. Uh, but uh, we'll work through it. Uh, my goal is not to send you all home weeping uh, or, uh, you know, s sitting there uh, in tears. Uh, my goal is just to uh, understand the, the biblical importance of tears, the necessity uh, and, and how God uses them in our lives and how they are part of a actually healthy Christian life. So is joy. Joy is a big topic, but uh, tears also are very biblical, and we'll just investigate uh, that topic a little bit more this morning. There are a lot of verses in Scripture that mention tears, and I can't mention them all. I will mention a few this morning just to give you a sampling of what we're talking about. We'll look at uh, four different uh, categories, tears and ministry, tears and oneness, relationship together in the church, <coughs> tears and personal sin or failure, and tears and prayer. So let's get started here, tears and Christian ministry. <coughs> uh, this is, uh, Christian ministry is the work of the gospel. It's not just for pastors and staff and small group leaders. Christian ministry, uh, is it, we're all involved in it in some way or another. Uh, let me read from Acts 20, verse 31. Um, we'll hope that our scriptures will follow along behind here on the screen. I'll try to go through them in order. Leah, thank you for your, your work back there. <coughs> this is Paul talking to the elders of the, of the Ephesian church as he was visiting them for the last time. And he's reviewing some of his ministry there amongst that church. And he says this uh, as he's talking to them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Warning each of you, night and day, with tears. When your heart is in your work, as Paul's certainly was, your heart is going to be hurt at times. It's going to be disturbed and troubled with things about ministry from time to time. Sometimes ministry is wonderfully uh, successful. Sometimes it seems like you're failing and failing and failing. I've talked to people who have tried to work with, mentor, help younger Christians along, and, and I've certainly been involved in it myself, and sometimes it just seems like things don't work out like you had hoped. People who you had poured your life into and prayed for and talked to and encouraged along the way suddenly maybe leave the faith or get embroiled in other things and their life becomes unfruitful. And uh, if you care, uh, it's, it touches you deeply, and you, 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 uh, you feel it. Once I, uh, I'm not going to tell you all my tear stories this morning. Uh, uh, 
probably there should be more of them. Uh, but one was, uh, this, uh, this is why I tell you I'm the world's worst marriage counselor. Um, <clears throat> because I'm not a marriage counselor in any official way. But once I was helping this couple, in fact, two different times this happened, I was helping couples who were having troubles, really deep troubles. And uh, as, they, as they began to talk to each other in my presence and I was asking them questions, all of a sudden they were just spitting nails at each other, angry, accusing, bitter. And uh, I started crying as I was listening to them. And I felt so embarrassed. But it was breaking my heart. And uh, there are tears in Christian ministry. One of them looked at me and said, are you all right? I didn't say this, but I felt like saying, I'm all right. I wish you were. But uh, there are tears in Christian ministry. In another place, Paul said to the Corinthians, the trouble-filled Corinthian church, he wrote in a letter, 2 Corinthians 2.4, he said, for I wrote you out of great distress, Listen to these words, out of great distress and anguish of heart and many tears. Not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Story I read once of a young pastor who was fresh out of seminary, uh, began pastoring in his first church, came in with lots of zeal and ideas and energy, and he preached and preached and preached for several months and wasn't going that well. Nobody seemed to be responding to him or being moved by his sermons, and it just seemed to be business as usual, and all of his ideals were getting challenged. And, and he wrote to an older pastor, mentor type of friend, explained the situation to him, and I said, what should I do? And a letter came back from the older pastor, and it just had two words in it, try tears. Tears are powerful. There's a hidden power in tears as we serve God's people. Jesus referred to the good shepherd in John 10, and he contrasted the good shepherd with the hired hand. And he wrote, the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Tears are a sign that we care. We care deeply and that you're not a hired hand. In Luke 19, 41, Jesus had been out on one of his mission trips and he's coming back to the center of it all, coming back to Jerusalem. And as he approaches the city and he's had many interactions with the religious leaders and authorities of Jerusalem and many people and uh, as he comes to the outskirts of Jerusalem, he stops and he looks over the city. Jerusalem, the most religious city on the face of the earth, but full of hardness in his day, full of contradictions, full of legalism, far from God, though they talked much of God. And it says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Let's talk about tears and fellowship. Fellowship is us experiencing life and community together in oneness. It's, it, it describes our relationships together. Are they shallow? 
are we just sitting beside people we don't know or are we reaching out to one another and engaging and intertwining our lives together? Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses, verse 4. He wrote to Timothy, who he'd done so much ministry with and was so close to this young man. Paul, the older leader, Timothy, a younger man. They had worked together. And uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he says, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Do we have those kinds of relationships where Paul recalled the last time he saw Timothy, Timothy had been weeping over something, something good, I think, something beautiful in their relationship. And Paul says, I long to see you, Timothy. In Acts 20, Paul, uh, uh, I referred to this chapter earlier. This is when he's addressing the Ephesian elders. We don't know how many elders there were. There might have been five or six, might have been 20. It uh, doesn't say, just a, a group of church leaders who were bound together with Paul, heart and soul in the work of the gospel. And uh, he talked about admonishing each one with tears earlier and, and uh and then he, he says this, and I want you to imagine this scene. Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders for the last time. He won't ever see them again. And uh, their hearts had been so intertwined together. And it says, uh, says this. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. There they were out somewhere, maybe in a field. And uh, they knelt down together and prayed. They all wept and embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. I love that about their fellowship. It had depth to it and produced tears and embracing. And in those days, kissing was a, was a, a, a form of affection that was being displayed between them. The deep bonds between these first century Christians drenched at time and tears gave the gospel powerful wings as it spread across the Roman Empire. I once heard a pastor give a talk at a conference somewhere and uh, he was talking about how to comfort the, the hurting and the grieving people in our churches. And we were all ears. We respected this pastor. And uh, we thought we'd be, getting, we'd be getting three really good points as to how to really be successful at comforting people. Maybe, maybe some, just some magic words that would just make us, oh, boy, we would be, we would be great, great at this. We, we, people would be lifted out of their pain in our pastoral visit. And, uh, and so he began to give his talk, and he talked out of, out of a lot of pain within his own family. He had two sons with uh, disabilities that, that were so very difficult for he and his wife to navigate over the years. And, and, uh, but his whole sermon revolved around one verse, Romans 12, verse 15, which come up behind me, I think. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Most translations say, weep with those who weep. He said that's the secret to comforting people. It's not all the words you share. It's not all the good stuff you have to say. It's not all the explanations you can 
pull out of your sleeve to, to comfort the people. He said, you don't need to say anything. Just weep with those who weep. That's the type of Christian fellowship mingled with tears that is very deep and very important in the church. Not an upbeat sermon this morning, is it? It's important. Through the 1990s and into the 2000s, our church grew steadily and sometimes fairly rapidly. But it wasn't because of a brilliant vision nor an innovative strategic plan. As we stumbled through those years of our history, half the time our, our eyes were hopelessly blurred with tears. We lost many friends from within our own congregation. Sudden deaths that, that just shook us and puzzled us. We buried Jack and Ross and Roger and Al and Ruth and little seven-year-old Josiah and Nathan and Haney and Sandy and Carrie and Kevin. God was growing his church. Strangely enough, through repeated waves of tears and grief that just bonded us together in a beautiful way. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul wrote, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Notice the deep interconnectedness that God wants to bring about in the fellowship of his people in his church. Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Thirdly, tears and personal sin and failure. How do we deal with personal sin in our lives? Do we deny it? Deny, deny, deny? Do we shift the blame to someone else so often? It's a great tactic. Not the right one. Do we rationalize and explain it away? Well, I did it because of this and because of that, and you would have too if you were in my shoes, and et cetera, et cetera. Listen to the advice from the great New Testament writer James, the half-brother of our Lord. In James 4, 8 to 10, he's writing about this, and he says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. So often when we sin, we run from God, right? We don't, I don't want, God doesn't want me around. <laughs> no, that's the time to come to him quickly on your knees. Come near to God and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Personal sin and failure uh, and tears go together in a beautiful way. There was a musician back in the 1970s that touched many of our lives, Christian musician named Keith Green. Uh, we, some of his songs were filled with just contagious joy and some of them with sorrow. But he was the real thing. Sadly, he died at the ripe old age of 28 in a plane crash 
I remember the morning I heard the news. He was lamenting in one of his songs over his tearless life at that point in his life. And he wrote, my eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold. And he went on to ask God to change him and to be what he should be. Possibly the most famous tears of failure and sin in the whole Bible occur in Matthew 26, verse 75. I'll start in 74. Then he began to call down curses upon himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Poor, tragic Peter. Could have been me. Could have been you. You know what? Those tears transformed that man. They transformed a proud, cocky, impetuous, overconfident alpha male into a man that God could use greatly, and he did for the rest of his life. But he had to break first. <clears throat> I have a friend, a fellow pastor, lives in the States. Uh, you know who Eugene Peterson is? That's not my friend, but uh, Eugene Peterson, he wrote the, the translation of the Bible called The Message and, and many other wonderful and deeply insightful Christian books. And my friend had the opportunity to spend a, a day with Eugene Peterson out in Vancouver when he was ministering there at Regent College. And he went for a, a walk with Eugene Peterson, just talking about the Christian life and Christian leadership especially. But he said, the highlight of our whole walk was when Eugene Peterson stopped and he looked at me and he said, tell me about how when God broke you. And they talked about the importance of those moments in our lives. Tears and personal sin can be... Personal sin followed by tears can be transforming uh, as God touches us and speaks to us deeply. Tears and prayer. There's an Old Testament woman named Hannah. She was the mother of Samuel, who was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. But the beginning of the story was that Hannah was unable to have children, though she desperately wanted to. And she felt great shame because of it. She struggled. Uh, some of her friends treated her with contempt and mocked her because of her unfortunate situation. One day she went with her husband Elkanah up to the tabernacle, which was the central place of worship in those days before there was a temple. She and Elkanah went to the tabernacle and she began to pray. And we read in 1 Samuel 1.10, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She wept, she wept, she prayed, she prayed. Eli the priest at first thought she was drunk uh, it says that in the, in the text. And he, he questioned her and he found out, no, she's not drunk. She's feeling deeply her need of, of God's help. And it was coming out in tears. And he, 
he said to her, he sent her home and he said, he said, go home, basically you're going to have a son. That was a word from God through him to her. And, uh, and so she did and that son's name was, was Samuel. Sometimes we pray. Sometimes we pray and fast. And sometimes we pray and weep. There was an Old Testament king named Hezekiah. He was a righteous man and a good leader. And he was discovered at a certain point in his life to have a terminal illness. He was told that, go home, prepare your things, you're going to die. And he was distraught. And he began to pray. And the story goes like this in 2 Kings 20, verses 2 to 5. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion, and I've done what is good in your eyes. And then Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayers and seen your tears. I will heal you. That was his story, beautiful story. You know, what struck me was when God said, I've seen your tears. I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears. <laughs> tears aren't a magic formula to get answers to your prayers, right? Like, you know, let's see, what am I missing? Oh, I haven't cried yet. So, uh, you know, I crank out some tears somehow and, and uh, expect the answer that I want. That's not what this passage is teaching. He got the answer that he hoped for as he prayed and wept. But I can't promise you that, but I can promise you that God will see your tears. And that means a lot to me, if that is true in my life. I have seen your tears. <clears throat> Lastly, our Lord wept and prayed in the garden before the cross. We read about it in Hebrews 5, verse 7, a little bit about it. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Loud cries and tears. Someone, uh, someone has remarked about that scene uh, if you could have been standing there and watching this, this supposed savior of the world crying out loudly and weeping, you, you might wonder, I wonder if he's up for the job. <laughs> oh, yes, he was. The secret power of tears. A few conclusions in light of all these things we've just talked about this morning. Tears in ministry, tears in fellowship, tears in personal sin and failure, tears in prayers. Number one, in a world that craves to feel good and relentlessly obsesses over personal happiness and delights in levity and revelry and will pay big bucks to get it. We must understand that tears are normal and healthy and necessary in Christian discipleship. From cover to cover, scripture is awash in tears. Tears are part of living in a fallen, twisted, foolish, broken world. 
Our Lord, we are told in Isaiah 53, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We're going to a place where there will be no more tears or grieving or suffering or death, but we're not there yet. And we just have to accept that and walk with God through this world where we are. Number two, tears are good in that they reveal deep care and concern, the opposite of shallowness in our faith and in what we think is important and in our relationships. Tears reveal that you care. Ask any parent uh, who has wept over their children for one reason or another. It's because we care so deeply for the little ones that God has given us to raise. We don't weep over things we don't care about. It's healthy to grieve over sin, both in our own lives and in others. It's healthy to weep over hard hearts, ours or others. It's healthy to weep over people's pain and suffering. What kind of a person wouldn't do that from time to time? One of the necessary traits of a healthy church is its deep conviction and deep concern and deep care about the truly important things in life. Number three, tears often reveal that God is at work in our personal hearts or in our collective heart as a church. Tears are not to be manipulated or forced or scheduled. Oh, here's the point in our service where we all pray or where we all cry. No. But when they well up in us spontaneously, usually God's spirit is moving. That's a wonderful thing. Tears reveal God is at work. Fourthly and lastly, tearful moments are often precious moments of fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Either we have drawn close to him in his sorrow, or he has drawn close to us in ours. Either way, treasure that intimacy with him. A healthy church knows both the importance of joy and of tears. Let us pray. Dear Lord, sobering subject this morning, but we're not all just playing one note, or there's a whole symphony, a whole orchestra of feelings and emotions that are part of our life with you. And we pray you would lead us deeper and deeper into all parts, that we could be healthy people and a healthy church, that we could fellowship with you in your moments of sorrow as you look over this world, that we could rejoice with those who rejoice, and we could also learn to weep with those who weep. Grow us into more mature and Christ-like people, we pray.